Jesus said some plain things to us, and this King James Bible says some plain things to us that are without exception. They are not to be argued. They are not to be debated. They are to be preached and taught, and listen to me, and lived out through our lives. I was on a ladder today. My wife was my witness. I was about 38 feet off the ground today, so I was a little higher to Jesus today. And when you get in your 60s and you get on a 38-foot ladder, you're not sure-footed anymore. But one thing you are sure of, if you fall, you're going to break. No confusion there about that. And that makes us very careful in our lives and in our habits and the way that we live out from day to day. Jesus is actually giving us all here a test on what a true disciple represents. Who a true disciple represents. And how a real disciple functions in this world today. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner and a follower of Jesus. Amen? We are all disciples, if we are saved tonight, of Jesus. We are not apostles. The guys that are calling themselves apostles today are, but they are false apostles. They were 12 true apostles in the Word of God, just like they are 12 foundations in heaven, and each foundation is named after each apostle. Amen? But we are learners and followers of Jesus. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, I want you to keep this in mind. This is what Jesus is saying that a true disciple is. Look with me in verse number 25. It, and the Word of God says, And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said unto them. Now there's a, a great multitude there with Jesus. And he says something. We all know, we've all read this, but listen what it says. If any man come to me and hate not his father, his mother, and his wife, and his children, and his brethren, and his sisters, Yea, and his own life. How'd that get in there? But yet, this is what Jesus said out of his own mouth. And his own life, notice what it says, also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. I want to preach to you just a few minutes or teach just a few minutes on the Lord and what He says about a true disciple. First of all, Jesus was speaking in parables. I believe the young preacher mentioned this the other night. And a parable is twofold. Why did Jesus speak in parables? 
Because a lot of people that were following Jesus in His day were not really following for the right reason, for the truth and the teaching that Jesus offered to them. So a parable is twofold. A parable, if you want truth from Jesus, will reveal truth to you. But if you want to play with this thing and play games with this thing, that same parable will conceal the truth from you. Now a parable is an earthly story that tells a heavenly meaning or a spiritual meaning to us. And the disciples asked Jesus one time, why do you speak in parables uh, in, in, in uh, the Gospels? Why do you speak in parables to the crowds? And Jesus said unto the disciples, because the mystery of the kingdom of God is given unto you, but not unto them. Jesus is speaking in parables, and all of this lines up. This is his book, this is his outline, and this is what he says about it. And what he's saying,
back door. Body, soul, and spirit. Who do you see more important than him? Who is more important to him in your life? Who is more important than even your own life? It gets quiet when we teach like this, doesn't it? Sounds like a turkey farm on Thanksgiving Eve in here. Amen. But Moses was confronted with this in Exodus 33. When God was angry with the children of Israel, Moses was leading them and, and God told Moses, he said, I'm going to send an escort ahead of you, but I will not go with you. My presence will not be with you because the people of Israel were stiff-necked. They didn't learn to worship. And the Old Testament word for worship was to bow your neck. And Israel wouldn't learn to bow their neck. They wouldn't learn to worship God. And it made God angry. But Moses was sad at that saying because Moses said, God, if you don't go, if your presence doesn't come with us, then I don't even want to go. Abraham learned the value of worship in Genesis 22 when he was instructed by God on his final test, on his final appearance to Abraham, God told him, you take Isaac, your only son, and take him to Mount Moriah, and you're going to offer him up on a ridge where my son will be offered up in, in, in the future. And what I want you to do there is I want you to offer him up unto me. And Abraham obeyed God. But you read over there in Genesis 22, and you find out where Abraham said, me and the lad is going to go up yonder and worship God first. <laughs> and then me, and then we'll be back after this is over with. But he put the worship of God first because Abraham knew how valuable it was to have a personal line with God, how valuable it was to have a personal, uh, listen, a personal relationship with God. He knew how valuable it was to bow down and worship God because God is worthy to be worshipped. Well, the Bible says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. First. And all his righteousness. And all these things should be added unto you. Who's first? In our lives. Will determine how we worship God. Then Jesus goes on, you think that this big crowd that's following Jesus, Jesus would come up with a, with a great sermon right there to preach on. All of his sermons were great, but you'd think he'd say something, Brother Terry, that would even bring more in. But what does he do? He turns to him and says, unless you hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, <laughs> and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Boy, that turned the crowd away, didn't it? And then he says something, he says, 
Unless you bear your own cross, you can't be my disciple. And bearing this cross, uh, A.W. Tozer, uh, one of the heroes of the past, he said three things about this, about cross bearing. He said uh, that, that a crucified life, a man that is a, living a crucified life can only look one way. Brother Terry, if you're crucified, you can only look one way. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down on the right hand of the throne of God, friend of mine. We're to look to him. We're to look to Jesus Christ, friend of mine, and we're to look in his book, and we're to look, friend of mine, and what he says in this book, and we're to obey it in our worship, in our crucified lives. The Bible tells us, that if you don't bear your cross, you can't be his disciple. He didn't say that we wouldn't try to be. He said you can't. The second thing that A.W. Tozer said about a crucified life is, not only can he only look one way, but he never goes back to what he used to be. Paul, in Acts 26, when he gave his testimony in front of Agrippa, he said, Agrippa, uh, Christ came to me, called me by my first name, Saul. Then he asked me why I was persecuting the church. And then I said, Lord, who art thou? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And Paul was given a heavenly vision, and he told King Agrippa that I was obedient to that heavenly vision. Paul said, I was not going to go back to my old ways. Crucified life can't go back to his old ways. Crucified life's only got one way to look. That's to look to Jesus. A crucified life has no plans for its own. Paul said that he was bound and determined to apprehend him. He had no plans. Paul went into a town right after his conversion in Acts chapter 9. And he, he said to Jesus, what, what should I do? Jesus said, you go to this town and it'll be told to you what to do. You see, there's a lot of things in a Christian's life, friend of mine, that we all have to deal with uh, from day to day, in and out and in and out. But one thing I found out that man really doesn't like to do, man does not like to be told what to do. There is a rebellion inside of us, friend of mine, because of that fall that just simply thinks that we've got to have hands on this thing. But I'm here to tell you, uh, God called me to go into the jails, into the prisons 30-something years ago of my life, and I'm glad that I obeyed that heavenly vision that was placed in my heart. I'm glad that God called me and placed me where it was. You say, well, them people down there, brother, I've had preachers tell me, uh, uh, bless God, them people down there is bad off. And I said, yeah, you're just as bad off as they are without Jesus. It's obedience to this book and to the author of it. 
What do we say about worship? It can only, a crucified life can only look one, one way, that's to Jesus. A.W. Tozer said a crucified life never goes back to its own way. And a crucified life has got no plans. You know, uh, Brother Terry, I've seen it in life where people will come to a place in their life and, and they get saved by the grace of God and God begins to stir their nest and begins to deal with them about their life. And then what happens to them is they come to a place and they draw a line in the sand and say, God, that's none, uh, that's mine, that's none of yours. But yet Jesus bought us all. He paid for us all. Somebody said, well, Jesus has got part of me. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. He bought all of you. He paid for the whole lock, stock, and barrel. He owns it. And if there's one thing about friend of mine a potter and clay, clay never tells the potter what he's going to do. The vessel is made by the potter in the shape and in the form and in the use of that master's hand. Greatest picture of God's sovereignty found in the Bible is the potter and the clay. The clay don't jump off the wheel and say, I ain't going to be that. I'm not going to do that. And God shapes us, molds us, and he fits us together in a local church called Murrayville Baptist Church. Amen. What a blessing. I'm, I'm not going to have time to go over all of this. I've, I've got about... Uh, I don't know, 16 points. But we're <clears throat> Them guys in the prison say, go ahead, preacher. We ain't got no roast in the oven. Go ahead, preach. Amen. There's three things, not only about a crucified life, but there's three things about worshipers. First of all, a true worshiper has been truly born again. He has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. And he is able to worship God in spirit and in truth. Amen. What separates us from all other creations in the world is that we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And God primarily connects with us in our spirit. Amen. Because God is a spirit. And those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. So if you are a true worshiper tonight, you can stand back and praise the Lord that you've been born again by the Spirit of God. You've been regenerated by the Spirit of God. But not only that, the Spirit of God reveals unto you who Jesus is and reveals unto you truth day by day. John 16, verse 13. And somebody that's operating in the Spirit of God is always going around trying to talk about and glorify Jesus Christ. Because the Spirit doesn't speak of Himself, but He speaks of Christ. And the third thing about it, it's regulated by the Word of God. Jesus, did you know you come in here tonight seeking something from the Lord, didn't you? I hope you did. But you know what? God come in here tonight seeking something from you. The Bible says that He seeketh such. To worship Him. 
Worshiping the Lord, friend of mine, is one of the most valuable possessions that you have as a child of God. Worshiping the Lord, friend of mine, will not just show you God's works, but it will show you God's ways. And what we need to learn today as children of God is God's ways in our lives. Boy, it gets quiet when we preach like this. It really does. But I do love you today, church. And the Lord loves us tonight, church. And this is why God hates idolatry in people's lives. You know what an idol is? An idol is anything that you put above God. Anything. It could be a car. It could be a horse. It could be anything. I mean... These guys are, I don't know, I don't watch it, but they're saying one of the most popular shows is American Idol, and God says not to have no idols. And you know what they tell me, I don't watch it, but what they're saying on the show is people get up and they imitate their idols. And you see, the thing about an idol is when you put an idol in your life, uh, you become like the idol. The idol don't become like you. You become like the idol. How many of you ever seen these Elvis guys walking around? Am I the only one seeing him? They've idolized Elvis. Nothing wrong with Elvis. Nothing wrong with Elvis. I ain't got nothing against Elvis. But I don't want to look like him. I don't want to act like him. And that's the difference, friend of mine, in a child of God's life. When you get filled with the Spirit of God, I've read a lot of commentators on it, but here's the common denominator of it. Being filled with the Spirit of God is you becoming the person that God intended you to be when He placed Himself in you. Where you be being formed into the image of Jesus. This is why God only should be worshipped. God and Him only. Why? Because if you worship God and Him only, you start looking like Jesus. <laughs> you start acting like Jesus. You start talking like Jesus talked. And you see, that's the thing about it in a lot of people's lives today. They have placed, replaced things in their lives. One man said it very wisely. I don't know who it was, but he, he said human nature forms us. Sin deforms us. Education informs us. Prison systems try to reform us. But only Jesus Christ can transform us. And what God's in the business of doing is taking non-worshippers and making worshipings out of, out of us. That's what he does. I didn't know it the night I got saved. I got saved as an old hippie many years ago when I wasn't even looking for God. I didn't even know how to pray. I didn't know what to say. God come to where I was, put his business in my business, swung me out over hell under conviction. I'd have got saved that night if there wasn't a heaven. God convinced me that night 
Not only was I on my way to hell, but I was probably going to be there by morning. Thank God for the conviction power, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God, which is missing today, not in this church, but in whole, as a whole, in the churches. How we need Him tonight, church. How we ought to love Him more and more. Do you, do you love Him more than you did last year? Do you worship Him more than you did last year? Then if you didn't, there's something wrong with it in the worship in our lives. You and I have got to place God first. Amen. I'm not going to have time to, to go into this, but I want to just say this to you today. Please, please don't exchange something in your life for the pure worship and the true worship of God. I mean, isn't God worth it? Who else could die for our sins? Who else, friend of mine, could leave heaven and come and live 33 and a half years down here in this world and live a sinless life? The Bible says that he was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Who else could leave, come down here and pick you and I out just personally on a personal level other than Jesus Christ? Who else could be made sin for us and be literally turned into sin? It's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteous of God in him. Who else, friend of mine, could, should be put over that? Who else could come into our lives and take a bottle, a, a drink and drugs out of our lives and put a Bible in it and put somebody inside of us, friend of mine, that old Anheuser-Busch could not slack? Oh, I'm still drinking, but it's just from another fountain tonight. I took a drink of Jesus Christ many years ago on a Sunday night, friend of mine, and I'm telling you, he slacked my thirst. Amen. He saved my soul. He pardoned me. He kept me from going to that awful pit. You know why this is called a pulpit? This ain't up here to elevate some man. This is called a pulpit because I'm trying to pull you out of a pit. And without Jesus Christ, you're heading to a pit. A horrible pit, an awful pit if you've never been saved. That religion that people wear, that's what religion is. It's what man puts on. But a relationship is what God puts in. And then it's adorned on the outside. And it's shown to the world by our worship. Hallelujah. I feel good when I preach like this. Anyhow, amen. A true disciple of Jesus is a true worshiper. A true disciple of Jesus will be changed on the inside and adorned on the outside. A true worshiper of Jesus doesn't have to go to schools to learn how to quit drinking. 
He doesn't have to go to schools to learn how to quit lying. I understand now they even got uh, liars anonymous now. I mean, how, how can you go to a liar anonymous meeting? We don't even know if who's telling the truth. Amen. <laughs> we live in some strange times today, church. Oh, it's not an anonymous. His name is Jesus. He's the greatest friend that I've ever known. He's the greatest God that there is to serve. There is none beside Him. No, not a one. A true worshiper can only be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to say this and I'm through. A lot of people I've noticed over the years, less 20, 25 years, are trying to do something that God never called them to do. And they get frustrated and they quit. A true worshiper that's connected with God, God gives them the instructions of what to do and they follow it. And He starts that work in them. And because He starts it, He'll be the one that has to finish it. But if you start it, you can stop it. And there's a lot of people that have got into the ministry, have got into this and said the Lord has called them to do this. And it's all through this passage. I want you to go home and read the next four parables behind this. It all lines up to what I'm preaching tonight. Go home tonight and read the next four parables in line of what I preached out of this first parable. If you are true, God, in what God has called you to do, you and Christ can pull the load. And you will be able to bear your cross. Amen. You know, a lot of times in life, we have an unexpected cross. We, we're just one phone call away from an unexpected cross tonight. When Jesus was dying for our sins, they so whipped him that the backside of his organs was showing. The psalmist said they made long, deep referrals. I looked at it, it means like you plow a field. And his legs gave out on him. He couldn't walk. There was a man, a Cyrene man, all probability, he was a black man. And he was told to pick up Jesus' cross and carry it for him. It was an unexpected cross. He was able to pick it up and carry it. I want to tell you something, folks. Tonight, it takes men and ladies and gentlemen to be a Christian in the days that we live in. But it starts 
with what Jesus said, placing him first. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never been born again. Let me say this. If you've never been born again, you're at a good place. If the Lord's dealing with your heart. If the Lord's dealing with your heart about your soul, in your spirit, by your condition, you can come tonight. You can call on Jesus. And God, for Christ's sake, can have mercy on you. He'll pardon you and He'll save you. And He'll save you the same way He saved all of us. If you're saved, He saved us by grace. Amen. But if you're here tonight and you've never been born again and you choose not to follow Jesus, I will say this. If you don't get born again, you're going to wish one day that you've never been born at all. And it comes down to it. Let's not play games with God. God is a gentleman. You want to play around with this thing? God will let you beat your music out. He will. But when you stand in front of him, he's going to name that tune, my friend. And it's going to have eternity that follows it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as they come to the instrument tonight, that's a message.